A lot of you are familiar with the DNA Project and have been rocking with us for a while, but some of you aren't. A lot of you are faithful listeners of the podcast, but aren't familiar with some of the other work that we do. So I just want to take a quick moment to explain to you a little bit more of what we do. So you're getting married, or you have a friend, a cousin, a sister, somebody you know is getting married. Okay. You've booked your venue, caterers, photographer, all that good stuff. When it comes to live music, most people have no idea where to look. We have you covered. Picture this. During the ceremony, while guests are being seated, or while the bride's walking down the aisle. During the cocktail hour, while guests are just mingling and having a good time. Don't forget about dinner music. That's very important to set the mood while guests eat. And we definitely can't forget the party. Let's get the party started right now with The DNA Project. www.thednaproject.ca for more information. Hello, bonjour, and moi guan, everyone. Thank you for listening to The DNA Airwaves. Today's episode is brought to you by The DNA Project, your entertainment agency. Please visit thednaproject.ca to learn more. It's also brought to you by The MPL, Toronto's modular film and audio studio. Please check out the-mpl.com for more details. Today's guest is Kiana Eastman, a.k.a. Rooks. She's the CEO of Sandbox Studios here in Toronto. She's a serial entrepreneur and, in my opinion, one of the top minds in the musical industry. Four of us sat down and had an incredible discussion just about her, her upbringing, the current state of the music industry, and some of the incredible things that she looks to do in the future. I hope you guys enjoy. I know you guys will enjoy it. Not I hope. I know you guys will enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the DNA Airwaves. Hey, Rooks, how you doing? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Glad Thank you for having. coming. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. I'm excited. We also Looking have to this one. Duriki, how you doing? Not bad, man. I'm here. Highly flavored. Blessed. Mr. Matt, what's going on, man? Can't complain. Hey. Anthony, Alrighty. I've known you for like 10 years. 10 years. You look the same. You look the same. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> After the firing and yes. the, the like awakening that you had. Like what did like? Because I've been rejected before and thought, oh, this is over. I'm not mm-hmm. gonna be able to. Did you have that moment where you thought maybe you shouldn't be in the music industry anymore? <sighs> when I was coming up as a music manager in Toronto, to be honest with you, that was like 2011. Mm-hmm. I was kind of one of the only music managers that were developing an artist into something pretty commercial. Right. You know. Um, and I felt so strongly about what I was doing. I had a lot of other opportunities at the time. Uh, I don't know if you know those gun holsters with the cell phones. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't know if Anthony, you remember this, but I used to wear them back in the day because shout out Paul Nuestro, who is now uh, the head designer over at Herschel. But we created those, oh, wow. you know, and like we had them inside of. Uh, like five and dime trade shows and like a bunch. We were doing some. Roots was talking to us and like we were doing so many cool things. And at the time, I was also like the the organizational development manager at Nia Center for the Arts. And I had this company called Chips, and we were doing like all the laser cutting in Toronto. Remember those Goodwood pieces with the Jesus? Yeah. Like you couldn't <laughs> ship them to Toronto, so we were. My company was making like literally like a hundred pieces a day, custom pieces a day. Wow. Um, you know, okay. doing skateboards with like Supra, like all this stuff. But the thing that I felt like I was doing that was super unique was this management piece. Because right. I was going to, you know, people in the space. And I don't want to call any names because I think that if you work in our industry, you know who they are. But I was going to them and being like, yo, can you can you teach me? And they'd be like, nah, you wow. know, there's nothing in Canada. Right. You mm-hmm. know, you don't need to learn anything here. There's nothing. It's just... <sighs> hey, is this blowing around? Just go somewhere. Like, you know, and they were Dang. so discouraging. And to it's it, what is really sometimes even discouraging now is seeing the same people in the same roles that they've been in for 20 years right, right. at labels, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> at publishers who are a part of the urban music space. I don't even know if we're allowed to call it that anymore, but I was gonna are, ask. I'm like, oh, people are always like, what do you, you know, are part of this space with, you know, R&B, rap, neo soul, like that, that kind of music, black music, yeah. and would tell me not to invest in knowing more here. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, wow. well, even if it's barren, teach me anyways. Oh, well, you're not in school. Mm-hmm. Only public. Oh, we're, we're a publicly traded company. You can only get an internship here if you're in school for music business at one of these five institutions. And then it's like, well, why would I go to school there? They don't got no teachers that <laughs> teach about Black the genre music. I'm working yeah, in. Exactly. So it was kind of just like so, uh, you know, it was just so redundant, the the amount of rejection I was getting. 
that when I realized I was creating something significant, you know, the artist I managed, we sold out tickets to her debut concert at Revival, 300 tickets. Like, you know, this is a seated event. We had to, like, open up standing room within, like, 72 hours and we never released original music right you know what i mean yes. so when you can do that when yeah. you can build a brand like that there was a lineup around the building you know what i mean like drake showed up to her album release party right. like you know like we were we were killing it like raekwon had brought us on i realized that okay there's artists are cool but there's like this really significant piece of business and decorum that you have to have that helps you navigate through this space for sure and so when i got rejected and she fired me you know, my mom's not a Jay-Z fan or anything, but I remember her sitting me down and said, you know, if you built this, you can build another one. And I just thought like made hope says, OK, make another hope. And I was like, <laughs> the the saddest part for me was like people on the outside thought she was hope. Mm, wow, you know, right. I was hope, you wow. know, and like I realized like, yo, I know what I did. I know what I created. I know what I contributed. And so there was this period of like, is this for me? Yeah. But everything kept bringing me back here because I feel like, and this is like the best advice I can give to anybody, you are defined by your knowledge center. What you know about dictates the way you move through the world mm. because it dictates what you're attracted to. It dictates what, what people are attracted to about you. Right. And so because I had so much real tangible knowledge in this space, it didn't matter what else I wanted to work on. People always wanted to talk to me about the music business. Right. And so I was like, you know what? After like a year and a half, like I had opened Sandbox, it was dreadful because I wasn't a recording engineer. I didn't know anything about anything. Like even I'm looking around this dope studio and I'm like, oh, what are those triangles in the corner? <laughs> oh, those are bass tracks. Because, you know, like an engineer just told me like, you guys should probably get some bass tracks. They're just pretty. You know? <laughs> they're just they're from Ikea, you know? Just <laughs> but yeah, like I, I, I really realized that like, damn, Rooks, you know a lot about this. And I think that... I really want to encourage people to do deep dive learning because you become passionate about what you understand. For sure. You know, and so it became a real passion point for me to share music business knowledge. And it wasn't about royalties. It wasn't about how to start a VP, like a joint venture or like how to, it wasn't about starting a label. It was these are basic business transferable administrative skills that you need to understand to run any successful company operation just wow. operational business management this is strategy this is you know your mission statement this is your business plan this is your business canvas model yes. this is like real business development and i realized from being in that space that i was relating it to music but i realized a lot of people didn't know anything about business right at all and <laughs> i i was listening to a, a conversation you were having with someone before and you had mentioned the idea of artists actually developing business mm -hmm. plans for themselves, which I mm -hmm. thought was an incredible idea. Yeah. Um, can you just speak as to why, because I know you kind of touched on it now, but mm -hmm. can you just let our listeners know why you think it's so important for artists to uh, create a business plan? You know, business plans, I have a day plan, you know? I like today, I'm running around like crazy today because I didn't make a day plan. Right. I have something, a word that I have actually trademarked. <laughs> it's called discipline. Okay. Uh -huh. um, I own it. Uh, it's it's the idea that you can only be disciplined through planning. Right. Oh, I love what that. are you What are you comparing your success against if you don't have a plan? Right. Right. So if you can't wake up in the morning and go, you know, by nine o'clock I said I was gonna have some cream of wheat, then big up everybody who eats <laughs> cream of wheat. All the Jamaicans know. Okay. <laughs> if if you didn't say that you were gonna have some porridge in the morning yeah. at nine, then when you have porridge at nine o five, you don't know you already failed. Right. You know what I mean. And so. I think it's so important for people to create business plans because it becomes your Bible. Mm -hmm. It becomes the thing that you are able to say, I am achieving or I am underachieving. Right. Because anybody doing anything, you know, if you didn't have food yesterday and you have French fries today, you feel like you won. Right, right. But right. if your goal was to have a balanced meal, then French fries don't cut it. And you wouldn't even have accepted the French fries. You would have continued to look for what you actually said you wanted. Right. And so I think that it's incredibly important for you to decide what you want because a big part of success as well, like people always think about business plans in terms of like deterring you from failure. Success can lead you off your path. Right. I just brought Obama here in January. Now everybody's asking me different questions about like, you know, this, that. I, thank you for that. But that's not my plan. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You have to know your plan so well 
that you know how to say no to, to, to good things. Right. Right. And so, you know, when I was building Sandbox and like, you know, even sitting in this studio, like I'm be honest, like shout out MPL studio. It looks so dope in here. I really love it. Thank you. Like when I was building Sandbox, I didn't know anything about why anybody would need to use a studio but sandbox has existed and is one of the top ranked studios in toronto because i know my business plan inside out right i know how we're supposed to grow how we're supposed to pivot i know when some one engineer leaves what kind of engineer to put in there how to replace things what like if i only have a five thousand dollar budget for upgrades what are the right upgrades because of the audience that i so i own my audience mm. that's why we're always able to sustain and grow because unless you own your audience and your audience are your clients, they're your consumers, they're your buyers, they're the people who are your circle of influence in terms of how you should be growing. But they're also the influencers that go out and propagate, you know, whatever it is that you want the world to believe. Yeah, true. You can't do that if you don't have a business plan. Right. So, you know, I really feel like it's so important for artists, creatives, anybody to, you know, when I opened Sandbox, I was like, yo, I'm going to be the only recording studio in Canada that also has a cyclorama. I'm sitting inside of another studio <laughs> in Canada, right? Like, y if you don't know your business, then you don't know even like, okay, like I walk in here, I'm seeing stuff. I'm like, but I could have done the market research on that before I'd opened Sandbox. And I think that that's a big part of the reason why I push business plans so much is because I learned so much through trial and error. And then I wrote a business plan like six years in. Mm. And I was like, Ugh. got it. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Yeah. Had I just done this six years ago. Yeah. Like, you know, and then from there, like I just have business plan thinking. You know, some people call it design thinking, model thinking. I just have business plan thinking. Whether it's about the kind of breakfast I'm gonna have, yeah, the kind of car I'm gonna drive, what outfit I'm wearing. It's always like based on like seven of the, seven of the main things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's incredible. And I think more people should actually take that into consideration, especially young artists. They just want to get out there, get popping, get mm -hmm. their pictures on magazines. But if they sit down and kind of plan out where they want to go and measurable stats on how to get there, I think that would help a ton of ton of artists. Yeah. And you have to build a financial plan. Right. Right. So you can get popping and be poor. Yeah. There are a lot of popping poor of people. people. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I think that that's like the biggest thing. Like how many people do you know right now? that are popping and we see it especially in the Canadian music market where I will go to Young and Dundas and I'll see somebody above H&M, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this person ain't got a penny to that. I, they use the Wi-Fi yeah, <laughs> to make yeah. calls at my studio. Right. I, I, I want to ask a question about that because before we um, before we started this conversation, before we hit record, mm -hmm. we were talking about COVID and how a lot of artists are losing their main source of income because they mm -hmm. can't tour anymore. Um, I'm really curious as, as an artist myself, th this transition happened in the last couple of decades where the music, essentially the music itself mm -hmm. is not a product that you make a lot of profit yeah. off of and you rely on touring, which some would argue is not the artist's main job, Yeah, right? Their main job is to make the music. Yeah. How do you feel about that and about, um, in terms of maybe having a business plan on actually um, making a living from the music itself as opposed to the merch and the touring and any other peripheral uh, sources of income that artists have had before COVID? Well, it goes back to audience, right? And I think that one of the things that we've been able to do in all businesses is passively engage our audience, right? Mm -hmm. It's like there are billions of people online, I throw out a song, if it sticks to even 0.0.01%, that's a lot of people. Right. And so we're seeing the, the entire business model of entrepreneurs, of creatives, it's based on stickiness. It's not <laughs> based on intentionality, right? And so when you intentionally engage your audience and you connect with them in that way, they will buy your music. That's why Taylor Swift has done so well. Because people will buy Taylor Swift's album when they have Apple Music where you can listen to her album for free. Because it's not about paying for the music. It's about the commitment to Taylor Swift. So you think the idea of just sort of those quiet musicians that would just release albums and not really interact with the public and just be sort of mysterious, you think those days are kind of over? I think that those days are over for the people who people know. <laughs> like, wow. it's no longer a time where, you know... 
the democratization of music started with Napster. It started with LimeWires. Mm-hmm. It started in this place of where I could just download my favorite song for free. Yeah. And what that actually has done is made a lot of us more things work in streams, right? This stream goes into this stream, into this river, into this sea. But you have to know the difference between your rivers and your seas, right? And mm-hmm. so releasing a lot of music has created touring as the sea, right? Mm-hmm. By putting out all this music, now I know all Ty Dolla Sign's music. I wouldn't have bought his music before, but now I know his music, so I'll go see him perform because I'm connected to that experience. And the reason we've seen so many people be able to tour now in a way that wasn't possible before is because we know their music. Well, what about without touring being an option? So without touring being an option, now you have to engage your audience because now it's like, you know, and I've been seeing it happening a lot more with COVID and, and no, I am Jamaican. So big up all the Jamaican artists, because one of the things that I've been seeing Jamaican artists do way more than any other genre right now is get on Instagram lives with random DJs, right. with random yeah. people, with random influencers. Like, yo, Christopher Martin and I were texting the other day and like, you know, he's like, Rooks, you know, this, this create fake consultations. Like I need to, I need to take one. Like, you know, like <laughs> that, that is what it goes against the stickiness because now, even if I'm not looking for, you know, Christopher Martin's big, big song that just came out on aircraft rhythm, I'm I'm so much more aware of him because I saw him on this person with 500 followers Instagram story and this mm. DJ from the UK that nobody cared about before. The intentionality of knowing your market now is so important so that you can stay afloat so that when you do release, you know, and I want to big up Bashment TV out in out in Miami, you know, Beanie Man and and uh and Bounty had their 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 verses, right? Yeah, legendary. 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 But yo, check out these guys in Miami. They immediately, same day, released the Beanie Man Bounty Killer t shirt, sold out within 24. Did Beanie wow. Man or Bounty Killer put out that t shirt? Right. Like, so it's not about, I don't think, I think music is one way to engage your audience, but merch and merch is an incredible. Honestly, people underestimate merch so much that I think that. You know, when we talk about how are artists going to stay afloat, yeah, it's that merch. It's releasing the EP, but then also selling the private EP online to like your your client to your clients to your consumers. Beyonce already pre-sales pre-sells all of her stuff. Beyonce said, "All right, I'll do the Disney movie." And I think that if you don't understand the business of stuff, you'll think that oh well, Beyonce just released a surprise album. Disney already paid for that album. Right. Like, well, Beyonce released Homecoming Surprise. Netflix already, people are pre-selling, you know, all of this music to us and we're getting it for free. And then artists who are trying to build in the same way are looking at people who already have have collected their check on the back end right. from before the music even came out and said, well, you know what? If Beyonce released this, uh, you know how many artists now are like, I need to do a surprise album. A surprise album? <laughs> it's only a surprise to you. Yeah, it's yeah. not a surprise to the other. It's not a surprise to the producers, to the to Netflix. It's not. It's surprise to you so that you feel like you're like you're being gifted something, but that's all going back to like business plan and marketing. Because it did feel like a surprise, of like when Lemonade came out. Yeah, Lemonade. You're like, wow. Well, who shot those things? She's, yeah. you know, yeah. she just beat up a fire hydrant in the middle of the street. What street was that? Like, you know, what I mean? like it's it's just a surprise to us. And I and one of the things I always tell, you know, any of my clients, are you in the audience or are you on the stage? You know, you can't be in both. You can't have an audience reaction to building your business plan because of what you saw somebody else do. You need to go and do the research and figure out how these relationships are being made, what is being supported and how it's being done. Because like I said, you know, an album comes out and, you know, John Legend just released his album. I'm pretty sure John Legend already has a million placements for those songs. Mm. So it doesn't matter if it does well or not. Could you tell the audience what a placement is as well? So yeah, like a placement is like sync, sync. So so one thing I am launching in the near future is Sandbox Sync. Uh, We have been working for the last two years to develop this across the country. Very excited to 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 premiere Sandbox Sync, which is like an urban. I don't even know what to call it anymore. Like is is an R and B, hip hop, reggae dancehall world music uh digital library for music supervisors and for people trying to place music um that is all canadian content um that follows all the maple rules so we've been building this for the past two years 
because we're trying to get artist placements. So placements are, you know, in movies, in film, in in on TV, you know, when they want to sell some XL gum, is it your song that's playing in the background? Right. You know, and I think that this is where a lot of people don't realize the value of understanding the music industry. Pusha T, Guan so like you know invincible because he made the mcdonald's jingle right he's made more money from the mcdonald's jingle than people who are so you have to really understand when a justin timberlake is doing super well but he's saying (laughs) what that means to his 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 bottom line yeah right and so like placements are incredibly important and that is actually the way of the future when you think about how people are consuming media people are watching 10 Netflix shows back to back within a 48 hour period of time. You know, yeah, just recently yeah. I uh, I watched May I Destroy You by a Michaela Michaela she's from the UK. She did chewing gum. Michaela Cole or something like what, that. What uh, what stream is that? What platform? Is so that? it's on HBO. Oh, okay. Um but you know, the first thing that comes out and shout out my girl Lil Sims, like Lil Sims every time she comes to Canada, we link up. But like Lil Sims has like four placements on that. It's on HBO. You don't, most people don't know who Lil Sims is, but Lil Sims has gotten placement after placement after. That's their game over there. Like, you know what I mean? And, like, you don't have to be an incredibly commercially successful artist to be an incredibly successful artist financially. And to those who don't know, the maple rules aren't just, like, the laws of syrup in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's M-A-P-L. Uh, made in Canada, artist is Canadian, production is Canadian, and the label is Canadian. So that's a, a maple made... Psh- it's actually really cool. I was like, did they come up with maple first? Or, <laughs> yeah. but, but it's actually very smart. But yeah, so that's that's pretty much one of the biggest things I'm excited to bring to the market here because I do think that placements are the are the way of the future. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. So I've been sitting here listening. I've known you for a good while now. Good. I would say like 10 years. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I've learned so much about you too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just mesmerized. I'm sitting here listening. I'm like, I've learned so much about you know, how much you've been able to accomplish mm-hmm. and how much you've been able to help others and relationships that you fostered. Mm-hmm. And from where you were then to where you are now, I mean, it's been incredible to Thank watch you. and even just to hear about some of the journey here today. If it's okay, I want to go back a little bit too so you can go maybe back. fill in some of the blanks here. It and is a Thursday, right? A little throwback Thursday. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's go back <laughs> a little bit and just fill in some of the blanks. Okay. And uh, just tell your story mm-hmm. uh, from there. So I know you did, uh, you dropped some names too. You mentioned Drake, which we always have to do being yeah. from Canada. Right. Um, can you tell us a little bit about some work that you did with Drake back in 2011, 12? So it was really cool to like watch Drake's coming up because, you know, I will always have the most respect for Drake as somebody in the music industry in Canada because nobody valued him. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't know why people don't really want to acknowledge or be honest about the fact that nobody cared about Drake. You know, I you would walk you I, I had I was so obsessed yeah. with Drake when I was younger that I would walk into rooms and like talk about Drake and people were like, yo, nobody cares about that guy. I'm like, yo, I, I had two iPods. One was just for Drake. I was that <laughs> no obsessed way. with him. I was like, this is my cause I used to skateboard and I would just skate to Drake. Okay. Back when you wow. only had like a gig. Yeah, you know what I mean? IPod. That's why you needed two iPods. Because yeah. I was like, wow. okay, I want to listen to 24 songs. Okay. So <laughs> so oh, like yeah, man. back in the day, like I I was up and I would walk into rooms and people really didn't rate this guy. You're right. But like one of the things that he did from the jump was put together his business. You know what I mean? And his team and like thinking about the longevity of how to, you know, I dare say as well, Drake was fun, one of the first influencer crossovers from television. Drake, whether you're talking about like Canadian or not, globally, I feel like Drake was one of the first people that really used, hey, I'm on TV. Let me drop some music and sure. let me allow my followers from my TV career to engage with my music career. And yeah. then when... And, you know, in different areas and different spaces decided that he was going to, like, plant these seeds. But, you know, watching him was so important to me that working with him was, like, the the main goal. It wasn't about, you know, how popular he'd become or whatever. Like, being around celebrities, like, you know, shout out my moms. I grew up around celebrities. You know, my mom was a, a model, one of the first black models ever signed to Eleanor Fulcher. Oh, wow, you know, wow. she was on Heat in the Night. You know, wow. shout out my godparents. Like, they're the founders of Carabana. Like, I grew up around oh, wow. celebrities, yeah. you know. So yeah. wow. I, I'm not mesmerized by that life. But 
when I had the opportunity to to for 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 Drake to do the co-write placement with 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 my artist at the time for Rita Ora, you know, just even the way he navigated it, the way he dealt with it, you know, getting to work with his lawyers, you know, one of the things I really will shout Drake out on was the fact that he dealt with me first and then was like talk to the lawyers, you know? And then any issue I had, I was able to like Hey, I'm I'm like trying to because he understood I was learning. Right. Hey, I'm trying to navigate this. Well, okay, cool. Like I understand where you're at. Da da da. This is how you should talk to the lawyers. And so you know, in many ways, I feel like if this environment was more receptive to him, I think that he's he would have been able to teach us a lot. Yeah. But even in the height of his career in the states, before like you know he became what he people were still denying his his success here which was like and i think a part of that you know this is a little off topic of the work i've done but the canadian music industry is slow to supporting what they didn't build right canada is like very like wait did we fund that did we touch that okay let's ignore it like that's the craziest thing that i see here with funders that i see here with you know did you get shortlisted or long listed for a polaris prize or a prism prize well did you get funded if you got funded i'm sure you made the list and that's why we have maple in the first place exactly yeah exactly it's it's so but yes working with drake was incredible shout out drake for coming to the to the release party people were like oh my gosh you rooks you really you really know him like he really he's really here (laughs) you know and it you know to this day like always somebody that shows love and and is supportive so you know shout out drake and ovo and and what they're doing wow so i i know uh anthony had asked about the beginnings can you specifically talk about how you got into artist management yeah you know i was a little bit of a rambunctious kid no i honestly (laughs) i i was out of my house at 15 and you know it's so crazy to me now like I came out as like queer when I was like 15 and it was very disruptive to like my life. Like I was like a, a, a quad A varsity basketball player on the debate team, honor roll. And like now I'm out my house and like, you know, I grew up pretty sheltered. You mm. know, I just like went to church most of my life and, mm. you know, secular music was like, <laughs> like to this no, day no, people no. were like, yeah. yo, you know this Wu-Tang song? And I'm like, I know Kirk Franklin's song yeah. and like Fred <laughs> Hammond's song. And like, you know, I really grew up in church, like for yeah. real in church and like, so, you know, coming out and then, like, being put into this new world where, like, you know, at the time, like, 50 Cent was, like, dropping and, like, gangster rap had become, like, so popular. Yeah. Like, I felt like, you know, I was just, like, dropped into this other life. But, you know, within that, I realized the influence of music, right? Like, I never really understood how powerful music was until like G unit releases these really ugly tank tops and everybody's wearing them. You know, I'm like, did you see yourself? They're like G unit. Like, you know, I didn't really understand the, the, the impact of music in that way. Because like I said, I grew up in church and you just wore church clothes. Like I didn't own air force ones or like, you know, sneakers that were like a part of the hip hop culture. I wasn't a part of the hip hop culture. And, and, you know, being Jamaican, like hip hop, even to this day in Jamaica is not a popular like music right. like you know you don't hear people listening to rap in jamaica really you know so you know like for me getting dropped into it it was just so infectious how much influence it had and then you know around like 18 years 18 19 i met uh a young woman who's now who used to be called pg but now goes by layla day and it was literally like this one moment in my life where i don't know if anyone's from scarborough there's this thing called like lions den and there was this uh, competition there called Rock the Mic. Yeah, Rock the Mic. And it's so crazy to me how, like, things can't sustain in Toronto. Like, yeah. this is something, like, people don't... But it really, nothing sustains here. Yeah, but that right. thing was, like, the most popping thing for, like, a year and a half. Like, everybody was there. Johnny Rocks was there. Kim Davis was there. Andrina Mill was there. Layla was there. Like, everybody would go there and perform. T- Tory Lanez, I met Tory Lanez at this thing. His first performance ever. Wow. On God. Like, that's why Tory that's still crazy. comes to Sandbox. Yeah. Like, On God was Tory Lanez. And they booed him. Wow. And this wow. guy jumped up on the table. And said, I swear to God, y'all gonna regret this day. I'm gonna be the biggest. <laughs> like, really? jumped wow. on the table, yeah. okay? And I was like, yo. And after that, I, like, I pulled up on him. I'm like, yo, you were actually super dope. And, like, tried to get him into studios. But his story is real. Like, he really couldn't afford to come from Brampton to Toronto to get into studios. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. we continued to build and have a relationship. But, you know, working 
in that, like I was a security guard in that space. You know, I'm a high school dropout. You know, I'm working in the underground economy, trying to get my life together, yeah. saying like, I don't want to work in that space anymore. Like what jobs are available? And like everything was paying like minimum wage. But anyone who remembers like back in the day, you could make like $500 a night doing security. Yeah, if you yeah. like, especially a girl, like because girls had to pat down girls. There became like mm -hmm. a new law. And then so I was making like five bills a night to like work for like four hours. So I started doing like security. At, you guys clearly know I'm from Scarborough. I just said five bills. But <laughs> to, do, to do security at Lions then. And I met all these artists and I was like, yo, this is crazy. There's like something happening. And so I meet this girl named Layla Day. She's like 17, can't even get into the venue and won like five weeks back to back. Wow. And I was like, yo, like let me let let me be a part of your team like what is it because she would pull up with like enough people like an old so this is when i knew she was serious they'd be like an older white guy okay well there's one white guy okay inside this whole venue like there with her and then like a photographer and like there's just so much happening oh, she had the crew, she had the crew mm. and right. i was like i need to be in a crew i had never seen a crew before right mm, wow. but i was like i need to be a part of this and it was her actually that introduced me to my first artist and at 19 i was like yo i want to do this music thing i want to do this music management thing and at around the same time this guy um who i ended up working with for the next 10 years was like yo i'm opening a studio so like lindo p and all these people will come through the studio and i just learned how to get really good at navigating opportunities for artists so it was just so random like i never had a plan i never i wasn't familiar with the music space i wasn't familiar with the music business i just was so like in like enthralled by like the excitement of the crew <laughs> wow <laughs> They're loving the crew. I'm a little embarrassed, but I was groupie turned manager. Do you, you have go. any uh, examples offhand of um, artist development advice that really changed an artist's career path? Yeah, you know, actually, you know, I'm going to shout out Layla Day again. Layla and I met when she was a rapper. Uh, PG was a rapper. Um, and then like four years later, after I developed like a couple of artists by that time, um, I remember her being like, yo, like, let's link up again. Let's work. And we started working. And I was like, yo, your name is, it's not the name. PG is not the, it's not, not the name, work. yo. Well, <laughs> like, that was your doing. I was like, I got to change your name. And she wow. was so resistant. I'm like, and honestly, I don't like your rap, you know? Oh, and wow. like, it was so rough, but I'm like, you are such an like incredible singer, vocalist. Like mm -hmm. you have a very special quality to your vocals and like anybody can rap. And, like, you rap like how a girl raps, you know? Like, no disrespect. Uh, people are going to be like, what does that mean, Brooks? But, like, you know, sometimes I feel like when people make girls rap, there's, like, a there's like a tonality and a delivery Definitely, that's very yeah. consistent. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? And I was like, it just sounds like that, whereas, like, your voice is so unique. Mm. And so, you know, I was like, I will manage you and work with you and develop with you, develop you only if you start singing, mainly. And, two, I have to change your name. And I worked for, like, a week and a half to to change her name. Wow. Yeah. And I came up with, yeah, it was very scientific, like L's. L is like a letter that people have the most passion for. Love, mm. life, lust, like, mm. you know, uh, you know, syllables for how people remember things. How, how like, phonic is something, like, you know, like Layla Day, like super memorable. Yeah. But she said it had to be very personal to her. So I took, like, the, I committed to the L. Her mom's name was Lisa, spelled L-E-I-S-A. So I took the L-E-I from there. And then her brother's uh, name was Dave. So I took the day from wow. there. And her sister's name was Latoya. So I took the La from there. So I named wow. her Layla Day. Wow. But wow. that name change Incredible. significantly changed her career. Like immediate. Like it was almost overnight how she went from like doing like smaller shows to like opening for Melanie Fiona, opening for Tedra Moses, opening yeah. for Little Sims because she had a name that could compete in the market and she had a very visible brand that could be placed somewhere. And I think that people forget like in order to in order to be successful in anything, where where is somebody going to place you, you know? Yeah, like when when I want to have a a sports drink, why do I pick Gatorade. Mm -hmm. Where is it placed in my mind? If I'm upset right now and I want to play a song, what do I play? Like being able, your brain needs to be able to categorize things because our brain remembers things in patterns. And so anytime I'm building an artist, I'm placing them in a place where people's brains easily access them. So when you're working on a song, you, you have conversations like, okay, this 
will be in a commercial or this yeah. will make someone cry or, or this like is this, a breakup song or, that, yeah. or this bridge is horrible like <laughs> like you know like this bridge is great artistically but it's not great for a song you know mm-hmm. this is like a great idea for you know you wrote this beautiful song but unless you're doing an acoustic ballad for this this will never catch you know like you need to create things that catch and catchiness is from i always tell people like catchiness is from the ability to catch if you give somebody something too big or too small they can't catch it like you know so you have to make it like genius yeah you have to make it just the right size and so you know a lot of times i am executive producing a lot of people's music even though i do business strategy i end up executive producing a lot of people's music because i'm like this just doesn't work in the music market at all so yeah right have you ever been wrong in that? Like where you've had an argument about a certain song where you're like, I don't think it's going to work. And the artist would fight you on whether they should stick with what they believe or is it always, you know. If an right artist really believes in something, I tell people all the time, believe in what you believe in. Mm-hmm. So if you want to do something against the, my advice, right now it's my job to make you sticky somewhere else. Mm, okay. So if you really believe in this song, and I think it's a very bad idea because of all of these reasons. All of those reasons also create the opportunity for something else. Right. So if I say, yo, this is bad because, you know, it can't make it to radio. Well, then now it's my job to help you figure out how to get into a movie, how to get it into somewhere else. Does it become the theme song for a play? Right. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm never yeah. going to art. One of the things in business, whether it's working with artists or whether I'm building, you know, I work, I consult for, for major companies too. You know what I mean? Like, my goal is always to help you deliver what you want to deliver. Mm-hmm. I only know what I know, but you know what you know. Right. And sometimes I think you have to trust the intuition of somebody who's been in a space for a long time. Right. Like I can only calculate what I what I have from my limited bit of information. There is something spiritual and 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 true about intuition. So I don't fight people on their intuition ever. That's brilliant. That's awesome. That is. How much of this do you think you just like picked up along the way because you have like the magic ear the magic eye was that something you felt like you always had or was that learned over this time i'm obsessed with learning you know i listen to like two or three audiobooks a week i listen to podcasts all the time how i built this is one of my favorite podcasts well guy raz i don't care if i'm listening to like how impossible foods got built or the the woman who started spanx all of it is relative to our lives right and i think Mm -hmm. that entrepreneurship is the greatest practice of personal leadership right mm, and when you're messing up as an entrepreneur you're probably messing up as a person great point. if your room wow. is messy your office is messy great point. it's wow. pretty yeah. simple yeah. so like for me the more i know about like life and how to excel as rooks is the better probably i'm going to excel as an entrepreneur and so i've always been really focused on like human development first my human development first okay and yeah. i think that learning how to be a better listener learning how to take up less space mm. You know, working in entertainment is so ego-driven. Yeah, true. And something I've always noticed. But, you know, you cannot pay for, I don't care how much money you have, you can't pay for the kind of experiences, the access, the learnings that I've had in my life. You know what I mean? Like, that all comes from, and I think, a, a real form of emotional intelligence that you will only ever get when you are willing to to accept that you don't know everything. So if you always start with I don't know and you're okay with that and you're okay with not wanting to have the right answer to the question but be the right opportunity for an answer. Mm. Those are very different things. Right. You know sure. what I mean? Yep. And so for me, I'm always walking through the world going, hmm, I don't quite understand that. How can I understand as much as I can? Whether that's about like, you know, mortgages or how credit works or you know, like, I always, like, end up doing, like, I just bought a motorcycle the other day. Like, I think I know, like, more about motorcycles now than people who've had them for, like, 50 years. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. why does this exhaust work this way? To, because to me, like, the biggest human problem we have right now is we we think, build, and grow things in isolation. Mm. So, like, so often right now people are talking about, like, climate change, climate change, climate change, climate change. The one single thing that could reduce climate change is meat production. So it's very interesting to hear people talk about climate change and then their next thing on their story is like the bacon sandwich they had. I'm not saying that it's wrong for you to eat a bacon sandwich, but you have to understand how things work together, right? right, And so like for me, I'm always just thinking about like 
how are things correlated? How are things correlated? And I think that that makes you a great strategic, uh, you know, project manager and a great marketing manager when you understand that everything is connected. So you can literally sell an, a burger <laughs> yeah. by like doing anything. You can literally sell a pair of sneakers, music, a person, right? Because that's what we're really selling. Artist, celebrity, like I always tell people, like building a celebrity is turning a human being into a product. You remove True, their yeah. humanity, you put a price on their narrative, on their experience, and people buy into it. But how do you wow. sell that? You just got to know what story to tell and you got to know how things relate to each other. I want to ask and feel free to yeah. r- refuse to answer the question, but <laughs> have can you tell us a bit about any struggles or whether there were any uh, regarding your sexual orientation? In oh, the 100%. You know, when, when my artist wanted to fire me, the easiest way... You know, we had an ironclad agreement and somebody must have given her the advice. Like the easiest way to get rid of Rooks is say that Rooks assaulted you. And that was pretty much the narrative around. It's happened multiple times. You know, it's happened. I've actually been accused of this two times in my life. Um, But I think it's easy to make the act. The accusation was easier when. There was so much more, I think, ignorance around like, yeah, w- like queerness. You yeah. know what I mean. And so mm-hmm. at the time, I remember like probably back when Anthony met me in like two thousand and like eleven, there weren't queer people, especially not black queer people walking around just like here I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I most most queer people exist in queer spaces. Mm-hmm. You know, right. mm-hmm. I don't exist in a queer space, and I don't just exist in my space. I exist from a position of power in a lot of the spaces I'm mm-hmm. in. And so, you know, being queer has put me in in situations where it was a lot easier for people to, I feel like, just accept that without any, like, conversation. Uh, And then the second thing that I found, like, being queer has always, like, disrupted for me a little bit is, like, men don't want to work with me sometimes. Really? Yeah, wow. More so than other women? Yeah, I thought women would be. You know, because other women, like, I'm queer. I'm like, whatever. Like, they're like, oh, the works is queer. But like, I find men, entertainment's a very egocentric place. Mm-hmm. And I find men have a harder time feeling like I'm in a position of power. Like, why do you think that is? Uh, compared to other women, you know, women. because I think that I take up a very alpha role. Like, once I start speaking and I'm talking about what I know, it's like very obvious that I'm going to lead the charge. Right. And I think for women, they see the way I perform gender and like, it's, Oh, like Rooks is the alpha in the room. Like that's cool. Like mm. I'm, th- they're. It's easier for their minds to comprehend that mm. cognitively, right? Like right, I'm dressed right. like a boy. They like I take up the space of a man. Like you know, and I have masculine, like you know, energy in a space. But I find that men are quicker to shut me down and shut me up to remind me, like, yo, listen here, little gay girl. Has it been getting <laughs> better wow. recently. Yeah. It's, oh, hundred percent. Like I'm gonna be honest. Like I was just telling, I you know, I mentor as many young people as I can, and I'm like, yo. The last fight, like, I got to shout out Young and May. I'm going to be honest, Young and May, Lena Waith, there's certain people, like their presence in the urban space has like dramatically changed the way that people interact with you. And if anything, you know, we talk about trends, you know, studs, black studs are the trend in, in the entertainment space right now. You know, from Stara to Dope by Accident to, you know, you're looking at who's producing stuff, you're looking at who's writing stuff, you know, the the space and the role that like, I once took up that was so uncomfortable for me, like is commonplace now. Like, you know, like remember there was a time where like every like little group of people had like, you know, whether it was like a South Asian man or like, (laughs) no, this is real. Like there was a time like on T it it is now a black female stud, like a a masculine performing girl. You'll notice one in every crew now. You know what I mean? And like, that is something that I think is, is, has been helpful for for me to be able to like navigate space because i don't want to go through the world like being a queer music executive you know right. i'm just a music executive right and like right. i would just like i've i've also gotten a lot of critique to be honest with you from my own community of like why don't you work with queer artists i'm like i don't work with artists number one right number two mm-hmm. like i work with companies that are doing the work that i'm interested in right and so i feel like you know just there being more of what looks like me everywhere, I feel like it's allowed for me to just do what I want to do a little bit more naturally. Why was it so important? I mean, uh, just from hearing your story today, Mm -hmm. you were growing up in the church. Your Mm -hmm. mom is 
Caribbean, Jamaican specifically, mm-hmm. and I know what it's like mm-hmm. to have Jamaican parents. Mm-hmm. Why was it so important for you at 15 to let the world know? You know, my mom, shout out my mom, shout out my dad, he passed away. But my dad was an aerospace engineer, and my mom was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And my parents raised me to live integrity like if i if i walk out of a store with like a a candy bar yeah and i realize like when i get like halfway home like oh no i didn't pay for this like i'm not like oh god is gonna get me like it's like the integrity i was raised with you know right like you know yourself like you need to like be able to like yourself sleep with yourself be with yourself and my mom really raised me like that and you know i didn't I grew up in such a sheltered environment. I didn't really see sexuality. Like, you know, I didn't see yeah. my mom and my dad, like, kissing up. Yeah, like, it yeah. was just like, you know, this is my mom, this is my dad, this is my sister. We're a family. Like, this is what we do. But, like, when I realized that I was queer, I actually didn't think anything about it. I just thought I didn't know any queer people. Like, right, you know what right, I mean? Like, right. You didn't it, think it was weird. No, I didn't think it was wrong. I didn't think, because I didn't okay. grow up thinking about like what was wrong with people like my my family my mom raised me from a position of being empowered all the time like i grew up like i remember when i was like 12 my mom handed me like marcus garvey's pan-african book and she's like read this and it's like this book is like had like a thousand pages i'm like read this but i grew up without cable right so growing up without cable i didn't really see i didn't like i didn't have like the influence of seeing a lot of heterosexuality either right i didn't have the only influences i had was my direct family and church right right? and in church nobody's like kissing and hugging up so like it was just like okay like people grow up and then they become who they become you know and so you know for me like it wasn't that i thought it was super important i was just being myself which is what my family raised me to do and they've always supported me in being myself like you know what i mean like i always dressed like you know very tomboyish even in my skirt like people always used to because i grew up in an apostolic church and we weren't allowed to wear pants yeah so i didn't wear pants till i was like 13 years old winter skirt okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. all right extra stockings i'm like i have so much stockings on these are pants like yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> like you know you so i grew it. up in like a very like particular space and so like for me being myself was just a part of it and my mom always i gotta shout my mom out for that she'd always be like whenever i do stuff in my teenage years that she didn't agree with she's like i did this i made you too strong yeah. you know but I, I i was and i've always I, I, for any parents listening to this, whether you have like a one-year-old or a 25-year-old, parents are important. Oh, your role is important. And what, what you instill in your child, like people always talk to me now about like who I've met, who I've learned, who I, what, what people like about me was instilled in me by the age of eight. Right, you know what I mean? Right. And like, it's so important for parents to play their position because who I am right now was already cemented before I was a teenager. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so all of the 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 grace or the faith or, you know, the belief I walk with, it was there. So That's incredible. Yeah. And very, very brave of you. Because I know even just telling my parents that like I didn't want to go to church no more was a big problem. <laughs> oh, like, huge problem. You, <laughs> you know what's crazy is that I was like, I'm gay, but I still want to go to church. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. And and you know, shout out my pastor too. Like shout out Pastor Brown. You know, like I go to church every week. You know? And like Brown? whether people don't like seeing me or wanna see me, like my relationship with God is my relationship with God. Do you get that at church? You know, when when I started going to church and shout out Pierre Thompson, who's been like my brother since we were like we grew up in church together um he's the youth pastor at K- kclc um but yeah when i first started going there i i definitely got the because i wouldn't mm-hmm. go i would go in like my regular clothes like my jeans and like you know my like little shoes and you know my button-up shirt and you know people would be looking at me and i think what's also very also weird for people sometimes is like Man, this podcast is getting mad deep, yo. But like the way I look, right? <laughs> yeah. Like it's I think it's ob- it's obvious sometimes like for church people like because people always come up to me and be like, "Man, like are you gay?" at church all of the time because of like the way my face looks. And they're like just so confused about because the way your face looks. Yeah. What does like, that mean? <laughs> you have a gay face? I don't no, understand. it's it's cuz I it, to them I don't have a gay face. Oh. Like, they, to them, like, I've had so many church people walk up to me and be like, you're so pretty for a girl. Like, why are you dressed like a boy? Like, you know what I mean? Uh, Like, that conversation, you know? And so, like, but I always am open to it and I always welcome it because one of the biggest things I've learned from going to my church, you know, all of us human beings, like, we're all on our own, like, little path. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And like the moment people see one person being strong in their own path, other people become strong. Yeah. So like yeah. I started going to church and people would like look at me weird and then like, you know, five months in, you know, one person would come up to me and be like, Hey, um so I don't like my husband. And I don't <laughs> you know, I don't oh, know what to man. tell him. But I see you at church and I feel like I can tell you and I'm like, Why? I'm not your husband. Like, you know. But like but I found that people seeing me love God despite what other people thought I should do right, made yeah. people step up and be like, who should I be despite what other people think I should do? And so I started building like these really solid relationships in my church to the point where my church, like I really feel like is like such a like different kind of space now. And that's why I'm so close with my pastor because, you know, I think sometimes we forget that revolution also looks like just showing up in spaces that you're not supposed to be at. Yeah. yeah. It's that simple. Like, you know, sometimes people are like, Rooks, like, why aren't you saying this or why aren't you doing this? Like, I'm running for mayor in 2022. And like, I don't care if I win. Are you really? Yeah. I don't care. I announced it when I opened up for Obama. Wow. And I don't care if I win or I don't win. It's important for somebody to see a high school dropout yeah, who built a absolutely. significant business, mm-hmm. who has a huge following, mm-hmm. who's worked with all these companies. Talk your shit. Like, you know what <laughs> I mean? Yeah, like who's built a business portfolio, like, yeah. you know? And and then also see me be a part of politics because we we exist in silos, mm-hmm. you know? The, poli- the political people are over here. The activist people are over here. Mm-hmm. The reason why we haven't gotten to and like even being a part, listening to like the Black Lives Matter movement. Like I lived in the States, like I, I live in Atlanta, like part-time, like... So, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement in the States is so different, but it's like, imagine if the word two was at the end of that. Black Lives Matter (laughs) two as well. Yeah. Also. Yeah. Right. How differently people would be able to to understand and And digest digest the message. Right. It's like that goes back to catchiness. Exactly. Right. Like there's nothing that you can. It's like somebody has an officer has killed a black life. Their life matters too. Right. That's it. Yeah. Not that their black lives matter. Everybody's life matters. Exactly. All lives do matter. Yep. But we're actually trying to get to the basic, the basic yeah. matter, right? Not saying right. you have to care or love. Just yeah. That it's we it's matter. just just like <laughs> two. And so like I think that how you position things all the time is like so important because positioning and conversation and develop. One of the biggest things I've learned, and like I'm gonna shout out anybody at all times who's ever helped me, like. You know, one of the things that made me the most popular was this article in the Globe and Mail where I didn't pay my landlord for 10 months. And I like, I owe, story. I, you read it? Yeah. Yo, yeah. And I owed him. So, but like, here's a super rich Jewish guy. He likes me so much. And this is why I'm always going to tell people, like, lean into your emotional intelligence. What's missing from that story is I moved in there in October 2012. His wife died November 1st, 2012. Oh, wow. I didn't know this man. Right. But I saw an older man come home every day to his loft, which was like, his loft must be like five, 6,000 square feet. Right. By himself. And I started harassing this man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like when he'd come home, I'd be like, hey, what did you do today? Did it? Like, because I could empathize with how lonely he must have been. Right. And to have your wife die in your home. Wow. You know and what that's I mean? what helped him have the understanding when Ex- you were exactly. going through your little so problem. So it's always about like, if you're a human first, when you need humanity, it will show up for you. But you have to be a human first. Yeah, true. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if I had just seen that guy and just been like, he's my, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have cared right. at all, right? right? And so like, care comes with caring. Mm-hmm. They have to work hand in hand. And like, that's always like something whenever people talk about that story, like, what a beautiful story. It's like, well, we are all the resource in this room. We actually all have something to give each other. Right. True. But it starts with us showing up like that without money, mm-hmm. without reason, without anything other than I can feel for you. Right. Wow. You know? Keanu Rooks 2022. I think we're all voting. For you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rooks yeah. for mayor. That's the, yeah. that's the slogan. Rooks for mayor. Uh, Rooks for mayor, everybody. <laughs> we have to wait that long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please help. <laughs> I mean, I think that our audience has gotten so much already mm-hmm. um, just from your conversation and your story. But is there any advice that you'd want to maybe leave the audience with as far as any artists or musicians that are still trying in this weird time to try and make a name for themselves? You know, we are all, like I said, we are all the source. Sitting next to me is a young man by the name of Gregory Shout who Gregory. harassed me on Instagram harassed me <laughs> like oh my gosh like i love everything you're doing i love everything you're doing harassed me yeah, okay yeah, yeah. and i finally answer this guy 
And he's like, I think I'm your cousin. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like okay, come on. Like, well, I'm Jamaican, yeah, yeah. right? I'm like, okay, yeah, you're yeah. my cousin. Everybody's cousin. You, you know? Yeah. yeah, so he's like, no, I think I'm your cousin. I'm like, nah, bro. I don't, I don't know you, bro. Like, you're not my cousin. Yeah. Only to go home. And I'm like, mom, this kid keeps saying he's my cousin. Like, who is he? And she's like, oh, that is your cousin. I haven't seen him in 12 years. Oh, and I really hilarious. thought about, like, what if I was an asshole to this kid? Right. Mm-hmm. Not only is he my for real life cousin, but, like, this kid really believes in me. Yeah, like, who am wow. I to not show up for him? Right. And so while people are always talking That's about big. making their own name, focus on making someone else. Mm. Like, focus on giving back to someone else, to being there for someone else. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I don't get to see this kid all the time, but whenever I'm like, Yo, okay, I'm going to be at the office today. He shows up. And that's not just Gregory. That's, you know, that's Samson. That's April. That's like, there's a, if you follow me on Instagram, which is at Rooks, there's a ton of young people who are always around me. Right. I feel like I, <laughs> I run like a YMCA. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But I, re- I really feel like it's important. And I've had like people who are much higher than me in my life be like, Rooks, you're too accessible. Mm. You're too accessible. I could probably be richer, famous, more famous, like faster if I wasn't as accessible, if I just spent my whole entire day focusing on being rich and famous. Right. But what I plant in other people, it might not be my thing, but it might manifest. And so I really want to encourage artists and creatives and entrepreneurs, like, get over your ego. What was the purpose? Mm. Commit to the purpose. It might You might not be the one. And growing up, to be honest with you, in church, like, I read the Bible every morning and I'm always obsessed with like David's story, like David's story. Like David was anointed as king while Saul was still king and still had to go back to the pasture and still feed the sheep. If you can't feed the sheep, you don't get the throne, you know? I'm like, that's just my energy. Like if I can't pick up the garbage at my own studio, if I can't get it in the parking lot and see a Tim Hortons cup on the floor and pick it up with my own hand, even if I have staff there, I don't deserve sandbox. Ah, You know what I mean? And I just really feel like people need to have that energy like, you don't get the throne if you can't pick up the shit. Uh, like, I sign more front of checks than I do back of checks. Right. You know what I mean? Like, if you really feel like people should listen to your music, they should watch you on TV, they should read your book. They should. How many other books have you read? How many books of other mm-hmm. upcoming authors have you bought? Great point. How much new music do you listen to? When mm-hmm. I hear artists say, yeah, you know, I'm just not listening to anyone's music right now. I'm making an album. How dare you? Right. Wow. How <laughs> dare wow. you? Good. You wow. know what I mean? Like, you only give what you get and you only get what's based in your your paradigm of thinking and how you approach the world. So if you can't approach the world from a position of let me give as much as I would like to receive... That you don't you get what you deserve. That's why know. no one listens to your music. That's why you have five SoundCloud followers. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you probably don't even follow five people. Yeah. Real talk. You wow. probably don't follow anybody on SoundCloud. So to me, it's just like everybody I know that's incredible at their job is an incredible student. It is an yeah. incredible student and never stops being a student. Right. And so if I can, you know, shout out Jay Carter who runs One Music Fest in Atlanta. If I can Hit up Jay Carter and Jay Carter be like, yo, Rooks, what you're doing in Toronto is dope. I want you to be a delegate at One Music Fest and then give me full clearance and VIP access to everything. And also then when I move to Atlanta, decide that he's down to mentor me. Right. And he runs one of the biggest music festivals in Atlanta. And I can't get a little promoter who has five people inside to say hello to me. Yeah. There's a significant problem. And in our space in Toronto, I think that because people don't know the highest highs you can go to. Yeah. They're celebrating Small the peaks, highest yeah. lows. Yeah. 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 Bro, you are in the valley. Wow. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. You don't even know the mountain because you're you already you you set up your camp in the valley. I don't do that. I really hate that we're restricted no by time because I have so many more questions. <laughs> I, I, I want to keep talking. Mic on that Why don't one? you come back? <laughs> I would love to. We'll do a take two. This was yeah, fascinating. This is I, would, I would love to. I would love to. Thank this you is a great, so much, This is actually man. probably my favorite podcast I've ever recorded. Oh, thank Ooh. you. Yeah, really appreciate it's like the vibe you. in here is nice. <laughs> Good. But also, like, it sounds like a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to have to ask you guys which mics you use. Let's talk. It's super dope. Thank you again, man. Can you shout out your website and your socials for the audience? Yeah, it's follow. R-O-O-K-Z.ca, Rooks.ca, um, and then at Rooks, R-O-O-K-Z on Instagram, uh, and R-O-O-K-Z on Facebook. Um, yeah. And shout out the studio again. Shout out Sandbox Studios, uh, Create Fate, um, you know, 
Grant Genie, which is another platform. I wanted to talk about the app, app so that, badly. Yeah, I wanted to talk that about that. We're launching very soon. You no, know. you have to come back. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yes, you have yeah. to. So yeah, Promoting like you know, you. like I really appreciate you guys having. This was great conversation. There's Thank great you. energy in this room. Thank so you. I really like wish so much prosperity to MPL Studio appreciate and DNA that. Project for what you guys Thank are you. doing. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. No Thank you. See ya. As a podcaster, you know that great content is only half the battle. The other half is finding the right hosting platform to reach your audience. That's where Captivate comes in. With unlimited podcasts, advanced analytics, and personalized support, Captivate has everything you need to grow your audience and monetize your show. Join the thousands of successful podcasters just like us who trust Captivate for their hosting needs. Visit dnaairwaves.com Captivate today to start your free trial.